Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hi, I'm Nancy Pop. I'm Sam Wilson. I'm Annalisa Barron. And I'm Xander Chauncey. You are now listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. Delicious crackle snacks <laughs> and pop. <laughs> the, the, the crackle is delicious. It's delicious. Yeah. Flame, flame could be delicious. Who was your favorite Rice Krispies? Of the, of, the, of the, were they elves? I think they were elves. Are they just kids? Are they weird anthropomorphized like? They're elves, dude. Uh, snap, crackle, snap, crackle, or pop. Hard decision. Crackle. All right. Yeah. I was going to say pop, but you know, the fact. No, pop is the obvious choice. I mean, got to get crackle. So, like, the thing is that both that, that crackle has, like, the bandana. Yes. Because he's a badass. But the no, other- crackle, is, crackle is like, <laughs> crackle is the Raphael of the Rice Krispie Boys. <laughs> but the other two have, like, the chef hats on. I don't know where we're going with this. Hi, we're, we're, we're lost and rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Alon. I'm Jimmy. Allison's got the week off, but she'll be back next week. And we have a really great episode for you this week. Thanks for joining us. We have plenty in store for you. We do this every week here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Your chance to dive into the sounds of the yesteryears, old audio artifacts from your past, unearthed and reanimated. Regurgitated. Revitalized. <laughs> Regurgitated right into your mouth like Mama Bird likes. Like a bunch of Rice Krispies? Um, Rice Krispie not-so-treats. Not-so-treats. <laughs> <laughs> you want to contribute to this uh, fantastically audacious affair, <laughs> you can go to Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash pledge and give us some of your monies that you have lying around that you feel that would be best suited for the arts. Yes, no, because we are a non-for-profit organization and contributions are tax-deductible. It's that time of year, you know? Yeah. You'll know, you'll figure it out next year. You'll be like, oh, that's where it went. And then the arts, you know, they, we, we need a transfusion, as it were. You know, we're, we're, on, we're on like dialysis right now. <laughs> so the arts, we, we're struggling. You know what I'm saying? And if you want to donate directly to our show, be a sponsor, you can go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash LAR. Yes, you can. <laughs> be a very generous homami. Let's get started, okay? Okay. Okay.
Mando Moloch is a 13-foot live-action monster made up of people's things and forgotten stories. The Moloch's very body is made of the junk he covets. Treasures lost, tokens cast away, trinkets stolen. He lives where the line blurs, at the end of the light and at the beginning of the shadow. Match wits if you dare. The Moloch will reward your offering. But who's really getting the better deal? Joining us to talk about this and much more are co-creators Sam Wilson and Xander Chauncey, chief sculptor Annalisa Barron, and coming back to the show to bring us all full circle, one of the producers for this, Nancy Pop. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Welcome, welcome. We are here. Long-time this, listener, first-time guest. I'm so happy that you're all here. This is, and I know, Annalisa, you have traveled all the way from Rochester for this. Yep. How did you all convene on making this project, and whose idea was this originally? Um, kind of original idea came from some of the talks that Xander and I have been having uh, about trying to revitalize a certain kind of film that we don't really feel like gets a lot of play these days. And I uh, actually found this videotape outside of a kind of an old church in my neighborhood. And it was, uh, I, I think it had a certain message to it. But basically, the comedy element to me was that the um, the imagery on the front of the tape was not what the clear message was, which was kind of like, you know, paganism is evil. But it had this picture, which was like a castle and like a sea of rainbow crystals. And I was like, that looks awesome. <laughs> so this was a VHS that you VHS found outside. tape, like sitting in a cardboard box outside of a, one of those kinds of, um, it looked like it used to be a, a storefront, but was now a church. This um, is in your, in, in Brooklyn? In, in Brooklyn, yeah. Wow. In, in, uh, in my neighborhood. And then came to Xander with that, and we were talking about it, about how it'd be really cool to do sort of one of those 80s style puppet things, like labyrinth kind of stuff. Oh, but sure. It's like a city kid who walks into one of these facades that's like, what's behind that door, you know, because you never know living in the city. There's so many doors and that kind of magical thing. It always used to happen in the suburbs, but we were like, maybe we can do that for a city kid and a modern audience. That's where it started. A lot of the Jim Henson's workshop movies and even TV shows to that effect really had a pretty huge impression on you when you were a kid. Big time. Yeah, I think. Yeah, for yeah, what I think what we identified the most with, with those sorts of movies was uh, how laid out the battle of good and evil was for them you know uh we all go through those battles on a day-to-day -day basis and so we started to think what if we can take our inner child and literally put him in a room with that monster that we're battling every day what would they say to each other why would they be there in the first place what would that inner child gain from this confrontation if he wins at all and so that was the beginning of the script the beginning of the script being the relationship between the monster and the boy the relationship and how to justify this this sort of uh, story that we wanted to create, but in a way that wasn't just for the sake of the story. You know, it wasn't just for the sake of the excuse to have a big practical creature with a boy, but we, we wanted to justify their relationship from the very first moment. Annalisa, how long have you known Sam and Xander, and when they came to you with this project, what ideas came to your head initially? Um, they approached me at the end of, I guess May of 2017, like just as I was graduating from grad school. And their idea had basically come from a connection that we had through a friend because I have made most of my films out of objects, like existing objects. Um, for example, I made a film that was all out of piano hammers from a single piano. Because my, yeah, because my content is actually about the sort of magic that's 
fetishized into objects and how we compartmentalize ourselves into what we own and sort of generate a portrait of who we are through our stuff. So um, they saw my Instagram and then thought I would probably be a good match for this project. So you guys didn't know uh, Annalisa until this happened. Yeah. That's awesome. So through the power of social media, through Instagram, uh, a connection was made. And from everything I've seen, just a little bit, it seems like you're working with a lot of huge scale objects here. When you guys, uh, Sam and Xander, when you guys were originally thinking of this, what spitballed in your head about how to make this uh, monster? Like, were, were you thinking of objects? And when, when Annalisa came to the table, it was like, oh, my God, we can make this even better. When we were introduced to Annalisa, Xander and I hadn't really gotten that far in the creative process to be like, what exactly is this monster going to look like? But I know, at least for me, the essence of um, that kind of Henson-type stuff from our childhood, it feels very like, unlike some stuff that you was maybe special to you specifically that you used to watch, that feels like it belongs to everybody. You know, it's like so wholesome and so like formative to so many people. Kind of made sense to, once Annalisa entered the picture, to be like, what does this mean to you? At that point, I felt like it had already kind of left our hands, Xander and I's. It was sort of just like, what does somebody with Annalisa's mind think of this? Because that's also special to her as much so as it was to us, you know? So she had a lot of hand in helping us define what the monster actually does and like how he lives. You guys did originally want specific objects were the first way that you described different attributes of the creature. So I think because you were trying to pull from things that maybe Micah, the main character, or people uh, had loved or could embody them, a dream catcher was one. Xander suggested a bunch of his childhood little soldier action men. So like we began with sort of using humanity in the metaphor of like people's things, essentially. So that was the segue into actually using objects. Well, I think there's a, a universality to just this concept of, you know, when you're saying that idea of like going back to the childhood, every person in the world has their own monster they're trying to overcome. Yeah. And whatever it happens to be, it's the unknown to them. And it's, it's the challenge in their life. Many times it defines who they are. And there are people who you could see and not, you know, know anything deeper about them. And they would seem like the toughest or, you know, scariest individual. But they've got this monster in their life. There's something that, again, like it defines everything about their being. And again, they may know everything in one world. But this other thing that is there constantly tugging at them is something that they'll never be able to get rid of a lot of the time. Most people can't overcome that. But I think it's so that's such an interesting idea to then, yeah, like say, okay, now how do we visualize that? And that's how we got there first was, you know, when we decided that we wanted to justify that relationship to the monster, that covetous sin that we all commit with our objects and our belongings is one of the first things that children experience, you know, not wanting to share your toys and the hmm. idea that everything isn't yours. And so that little battle becomes defined so early that we all fight it until we die. Nancy, when you first heard about this project, where did your mind go? The way that it is now was probably not necessarily what you thought it was when it was first brought to your attention. I guess at the time, I didn't really have a clear picture of it in my head. But what originally drew me to the whole project was the last time you, like the three of us, sat down and had an interview about this. I was working on that play, Thumbsucker, that we were talking about. Yeah. And I felt like I obviously have my own style of writing and what I want to showcase and produce for myself. But um, the parallelism of having some sort of like monster lurking around the corner, you know, trying to 
take over your life or take over your memories or take over your psyche. That idea kind of intrigued me because I felt like there was a lot of parallelism to my script in that sense. But I didn't really have a clear picture of it until I remember when you guys first started working with Annalisa, you showed me some of the original sketches and I'm like, wow, that looks sick. That's going to be so good, you know? I'm not going to veer into the whole like, was there a monster in your closets or under your bed? When you guys were growing up, did you have a monster that you were scared of? I had a monster under the bed. (laughs) Yeah, we know. I had a monster under the bed, bro. I used to jump and dive into that bed. Yeah. Yeah. Mad bomber style. The old, like, hide under the covers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Trying to see if you can make it to bed. And that from the moment you flip the switch off, getting in bed before the lights out. Yes. (laughs) From the film Monster Mom, for some reason. (laughs) I just had a nightlight. I always kept my nightlight. Ah, Nightlight. Thought it. <laughs> you know what's um you know what's right, like, exactly ah rats all childhood ruined. Um, when I was in college, I don't know how it ended up happening. I went to film school, and for my film one, we had to do a project, and I was like really hoping that no one would pick my project. And I never done horror, and I was like, I'm gonna like write a horror story. Like, why not? And I'm not gonna put any dialogue because like <laughs> why wouldn't dialogue? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like totally out of like my I don't know why. Like I said, I'm blanking on a baseball phrase. Like I, it's like just like like that's my uh whatever. specialty. Yes, <laughs> yes. Anyway, I had this idea of this guy who's like sort of like beaten down and he just looks like the soul has been kind of pulled out of him and, and he looks over his child's bed and like you can see he's like, oh God, I have to like go like feed my, my child. And he like goes out into the, into the night and this guy tries to mug him. For some reason, like the guy it looks very like cool and calm and collected when the guy's trying to mug him. And then he just kind of like, ah, and he just kind of like walks away gingerly and lights a cigarette and there was all these, like, hintings as the guy was, like, walking out of the house that this, like, monster was following him. And this monster follows him out of the house. Then he's, like, hanging out, having a cigarette, and the homeless guy is then getting, like, eaten by the monster. Mm. <laughs> I played the homeless guy, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all the people on my, uh, on my crew, they were like, you look like you were addicted to crack. Like, it was very, wow, Very believable. Yeah, jeez. Like, that's actually unrelated. I'm so yeah. old. And then the, uh, so then at the end, you know, he comes back. The kid, like, looks sort of, like, happy, and, and he's, like, happy and satiated. And it didn't come full circle, but the concept was the monster was the kid. Mm-hmm. And that he was going out to find food for the kid. You yeah. Know? But it was, like, curse that he had. That's kind of what we were talking about, how, like, you can't see it, but if you could see you'd be walking around and every person on the street would have this like weird and unique dark monster hanging over them but like in this film we would see micah's like the main characters just just upon hearing it i was just like oh yes (laughs) (laughs) that's that's my kind of stuff when you guys were younger you must have had some attachments to some items of uh, uh you know toy or uh and anything of material possession that you had to eventually part from, I guess, one at a time. Um, Nancy, I guess we'll start with you. I had a baby doll named Bibi that I carried with me everywhere. Like, I took her from Romania to Pennsylvania with me. I had her in Arkansas. And then my little sister, at some point, I think when she was like eight or nine, just kind of took her over and was like, Bibi's mine now. <laughs> Like, no, Bibi's mine. Like, I've thrown all over Bibi. Like, she has markers. She has, like, my boogers are still, like, dried out in the back of her ears. Like, why the, why the heck do you want that nasty thing? And she's like, it's mine. I want to be you. <laughs> so this, this is where it begins. This is where it begins. That's so creepy. But 
if I can get my sister's permission now that she owns BB, I would like to donate BB to the Moloch. Yeah, wow, that would be that that would be perfect. She looks like a cracked out baby doll at this point. Like her leg is kind of janky, her arm is like twisted to the other side. She has like markings on her face. Baby, <laughs> baby, Sam. Um, I think for me it was I was a big action figure kid, and I loved all of those. But the one specific thing was I had a, a sort of a full scale Batwing, but like from the original Batman, which to me was the way the Batwing looks. And I don't know if anybody else who collects action figures, it was always the special one that looked like the actual character because it would always be like Arctic Frost Batman. And you're yeah. like, I don't care. Like, that's not a real Batman. You know, I want Batman Batman. I hated that. And those were so hard to find. crap. Yeah, the Batwing was the one that I was like, this is the real Batwing. It doesn't have like extra ice missiles, whatever. And my mom gave away the Batwing. And having all these toys, that was a moment when I realized what those objects to me meant as a teenager like transitioning out of childhood and being like that one was special because it was the original batwing like that was when i realized myself that those objects were more than just like toys like there was something specific about that as like a collector's item and not a toy and that to me was a moment where i was like well wow these mean something different than I thought they did. Yeah. Me. You're looking at an item from a, an emotional perspective, whereas other yeah. people are looking at it as a, as a commodity. Yeah. Annalisa? I don't have something specific that's coming to mind, but I have a more like general way that I felt about losing toys of all kinds when I was younger. I just remember completely feeling such guilt during the process of figuring out which toys needed to like go to the garage sale. You know, like when they're all in front of you I and totally you have to you on that. select the ones that need to go. It's and they're all looking so at you. Boring. You've played with all of them. They've been living in your room. They are like little things that you act out your imagination with. Like how on earth do you look at all of them in a lineup and select which you ones can't. to go? It's crushing. Like that's such an awful, you know, awful feeling as a kid. Um, and also I th- I was homeschooled and I spent a lot of time playing alone and like setting up little scenes. It was kind of like when I got interested in how things were going to look as far as like setting things up together and all of that and, you know, making a story out of it because of how it looks. So getting rid of them was this like just super gut-wrenching thing. And I, I actually can't remember a, a singular one that I got rid of, but I, ha- I have a vivid image of this thing that hung from my ceiling with all of these different clips. And so you would clip your stuffed animals on it and it would be like this long uh, dangling thing of stuffed animals. And I remember sitting on my bed and looking up at this thing dangling and just being like, how, how am I supposed to do this? this is- <laughs> <laughs> Why is life so difficult? I know, like- <laughs> Already. Uh, I hate going last because I'm just going to say a bunch of me too, probably. Uh, uh, Masters of the Universe was mine. And uh, when I was young and when they first came out, they weren't the cool toy. You had to have G.I. Joe or you had to have uh, Star Wars. And Masters of the Universe, you got it like Walgreens. You know, but I always liked the underdogs, so those are, those are the ones I wanted. I'm like, oh, give me that, that weird, colorful, overly muscular one. And then suddenly they became popular, and everyone started to want them. So that was all I ever wanted for Christmas or birthdays. I started to go and sell candy at schools so that I could buy the the action figures and try to build a collection. Um, When I left home later, my stepdad actually sold the whole collection, and it was huge, huge. And, I mean, I was persnickety, like, Windexing them and, like, that kid, you know? And I had them all set up in, like, battle dioramas. (laughs) I sold the whole collection for 20 bucks. And then 
Good gave Lord. me $18 and told him that it was less his fee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I had a time, yeah. I was one of those kids that used to carry a toy with me until I kept losing the toy I would be carrying with me. Like, that kept, like, becoming a recurring thing. I had the evil Ninja Turtle, which yeah. is, like, such a cool toy. Like, they had, like, I don't remember what his name was, but he had, like, claws, and he had, like his mask was, like, ripped, and he had, like, sharp teeth. I left him on the train, and that was, yeah. like, a real pain. But the one that, like, really stung is we went to Chinatown. I had this plush doll of Bart Simpson. It was just, like, a flat thing with like printed him on it (laughs) but it was like i loved it though it had like a kind of a cutout that looked sort of like his body (laughs) i loved it though i I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because it was like simpsons and like people didn't have that you know you didn't have that stuff like now where you just buy any kind of toy for any like you know product line that you want and we put it in the food bag and we left the food bag and the toy on the corner So we got all this food. Like, we'd had, like, one bite of the food. We're like, okay, we'll, have, we'll save it till we get home. And we didn't have the food or, and I lost the toy, too. <laughs> I still remember it. Like, it was brutal. I remember for, like, the rest of that year, I was just like, man, I would, like, I would bring him to my dad to make him feel bad. I'd be like, hey, dad. Anytime he'd, like, do something, I'd be like, well, you lost that toy. And he'd be like, oh. <laughs> I'm remembering that I have these stuffed animals that I really, really, was really attached to. Not, like, more one than the other. But it got to a point where I think I was even like 15 or 16 years old. And I wasn't playing with them anymore. But I kept them stored away because I didn't want them to be visible. But I didn't want them to go away. You know, it's like your bedroom is your fortress. And when they tell you to go to your room, I realize in hindsight that it, it in retrospect, that it really is not a bad thing to be sent to your room. Yeah. Because that's the only, that's the safe place. That's the safe space where you go. I have really very fond memories of a Tigger doll that I got from Disney World <laughs> that I drew an S on. Like a super, and I put a cape around him and I made him a superhero. Very Calvin and Hobbes kind yeah. of, uh, yeah. Totally. I never understood why being sent to your room was a punishment. Never. Yeah, I no, spent all my things. time in my room just like reading or drawing or. I don't know, like hiding under the covers because I was freaked out in the dark. But like, it's such a blast. You have yeah. all your stuff there. I used yeah. to get to my room and think, man, my parents are dumb. <laughs> the, the, the one toy that, that really had me thinking how just how sad it was. And I, well, there's two. There's one that there's a teddy bear that I had had since I was born that somehow magically got lost um, over a summer when I was like 17 or 18. And I got over that actually pretty quickly because it took me months to figure out where the hell did it go? Ah, uh, whatever. I'm going off to college. It's not like I need it, right? Um, (laughs) I'm sorry, dude. That's, like, hilarious. (laughs) I guess I don't need this teddy bear. I am going to be a grown man. (laughs) And then then there was this big bird doll or something. But, like, the... It was had, like, plastic eyes. And so the the dark of it had faded away. So it was just, like, white. (laughs) And it was raggedy, and it was possessed <laughs> Big Bird. <laughs> well, I mean, it was technically Big Bird, but it was for big like a three. Exactly, it was like a three. <laughs> was like a three-year-old Big Bird them. doll on crack. There's nothing like real wear and tear on a kid's oh toy. Oh my god! Like the, the <laughs> wit, and like them sucking on it, and like chewing on bits of it, like you know, the eye that falls out. You know? But the possession that I think really, really made a huge impression on me. It was a, a baby blanket. 
And I and I'd had that since I was born. And I remember I actually did bring it with me to college. I left it at the side of the bed just so that like it would be there as a good luck charm. Jeez, dude. Did you get laid with the baby blanket on the bed? Uh, no. I, yeah, I didn't. I, 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 no, I think it was. Uh, That'd be something to be like. It was uh, just, ignore this baby blanket. <laughs> yeah, it was, a good, it was a good luck charm. You know, I mean, I think material possession notwithstanding, um, there are items in our childhood that we, it takes us probably a little bit of time. Maybe we aren't such attached individuals, but I think inherently there is an attachment that comes with being a human that, you know, when we grow up with that association, we agree that there's definitely a hard time detaching from that because it involves it with a memory. It's that connection, that energy that we have for those objects that our creature feeds on. Yeah, and, and that's pretty much the reason why I wanted you guys to be here because like the show, we're talking about our past. We're talking about the things that matter to us and how we got from there to here. And this movie just seems like it's following in that ethos. You've got a story about a boy who is trying to fight this monster who is feeding off, stealing all of the old memories and the treasures of old. And how do you want that story to resonate in a world where we are supposedly disassociating from things that are not involved with technology per se? They are more involved with our emotions. There may be a better way that you guys can describe this, what I'm talking about. We'd like people to begin to examine those connections. Just as we were talking about all these old objects, we all had memories that popped up that we forgot were there at all feelings that we had about these toys and these objects that we forgot we had. So there's still some part of us that cares about where they are and some part of us that's giving our energy away. So we created this dark entity that's feeding on those objects. Hopefully with the end game of once you realize those connections are there, then you can begin to examine whether they serve you anymore or not and and what choices they're affecting in your life now. Yeah, that's actually the part of the monster that I'm kind of the most interested in developing is the fact that the objects I'm going to be using we're sourcing from the public. So on our website and on our blog, we'll have an image of any of the objects that are donated along with a short explanation as to why someone thought they were significant enough to give to the creature. Because not only do we want this thing to be physically in space as a sculpture and as a character, but we want it to actually be made of what it's supposed to be made of in the story. That way it's operating on two different levels. Its content actually is real and exists as well as its form. For example, Stephen Sherrill, who is just an awesome author, he wrote the Minotaur Takes a Cigarette Break series, and he's just great. He donated a part of his collection of 750 antique crutches. Wow. Uh, (laughs) And and so the, the way we're kind of handling the objects is, for me, I was like, all right, well, what content do those crutches have? And, you know, we use crutches whenever we break our bones. So I decided that the crutches would actually be the skeleton of the creature because in its psychology, it would think like, okay, this is, this is something humans rely on when they break a bone. So it kind of has that energy of something that's stronger than a bone because when you break a bone, you use it. So it would make sense for that creature to use that for its own bones because that's how it's learned about humanity and how we've used it. That's so cool. It also takes, like, I think that's another one of our aims with this film. It's, like, the whole concept of the real. Like, you know, there's so much stuff now that you were saying is, like, digital and, you know, uh, information-based rather than, like, what's in our physical space and has more emotion. Like, we kind of use the internet or technology to be like, well, my emotion's not real because I checked WebMD and that's actually a symptom of what, you know, or whatever. But, like, the real, yeah. 
the realness of this monster is also a part of the realness we're trying to bring back into the film. When you ignore the realness of those emotions and attachments, they build into this huge real monster that no matter how many times you Google it and you're like, that's not real. It's like growing every time and like getting bigger and bigger. That's a cool thing that we're doing, though, with the movie and the project of creating the creature is that we're taking submissions from all around of anyone who wants to donate their objects or donate their memorabilia so that Annalisa can build it into the creature. That's far out. I'm already wondering if there's anything that I might be able to contribute. Uh, Give where- us all your junk, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, No. <laughs> Give us very junk. specific junk <laughs> and tell us why it is specific. It's uh, it, it's certainly uh, uh, something to consider, considering that uh, I hold on to so much stuff. Uh, it's mostly a lot of papers, I will admit. I don't know if I have a lot of objects, per se. I'll take a look. I think I pretty much have, like, about three different cell phones that I haven't looked at in who knows how long. Your, I, I see your eyes. You're like, <laughs> I, I, that's, yes. Well, that's interesting to me, because I had a media effects professor that only referred to cell phones as, like, your precious <laughs> like the golem, you know what I mean? So she would be like, you know, when you are spending, you know, X amount of hours per day on average looking at your precious, you know, like, and, uh, and so anytime I have a cell phone that's like my, you know, my cell phone that I shut down and I now have a new one, I look at the old one and it's just such a strange feeling. Like it's, yeah. it's such a loaded thing and I, I will keep them for way too long thinking like I'm going to need to re you know like charge this up and use it for something yeah, at some point. Oh my god. You, you know, know what I mean? You so that you get it. It's it's interesting because you're completely right to bring up the the dead cell phone that you're not using anymore, but you know that at a point in time it was your precious. So where where could people go? There's like an email address they could uh, reach out or to, uh, or how do they donate? Um you can just go to the Moloch.com. Moloch is spelled M O L O K. And there's instructions on the website of how to send us your objects. Send it out to Rochester. Yeah. We're going to send it out directly to Annalisa in Rochester. Yes. I'm excited to uh, see what I can find. The fact that you've got a skeletal system of crutches, I think, already spells out just how righteous and amazing that this monster is going to look. 13 feet high. You've got uh, an Indiegogo set up as well for the project as well, correct? Yeah. So, so far we've raised, well, the day that we're recording now, so far we've raised about $7,000 out of the fifty grand we are trying to raise for the creature. Mm-hmm. So if everyone wants to go to Indiegogo.com, look up the Moloch, give us a little donation, that'd be really nice. Holler. So, hey, you guys are ready to play some clips then? Totally. (laughs) We did this. Now we have that. And uh, we're about to do that right after this break, Uh, this tiny little interlude. And when we come back, we will listen to some sounds of the old, the digital sounds of old we'll be investigating from people's pasts here in the studio. We've got the team of the Moloch, Annalisa Barron, Xander Chauncey, Sam Wilson, Nancy Pop, Lost and Rewound. Radio Free Brooklyn.
and we're back. Yes, indeed, with a whole wonderful group of folks. If you are interested in trying to do what these guys are doing, and that is coming into the studio and contributing audio, you can be a guest on Lost and Rewound. Hit us up. Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org for any and all of your submissions and pitches. Send us your pitches. Or pitch us your sends. <laughs> what is this voice? It's my Jimmy Hoffman voice. That's me never. I'm working people, oh, on people my try. Jimmy Hoffman voice. And if you want to listen to other episodes, you can go to... You need Lo- more bass. Lostandrewound.podomatic.com or SoundCloud or iTunes. You just sound... See, the, <laughs> no, the, the key is it's not forced. It's just smooth. It's just it's just natural. Everyone is always putting it on. You got to just flow with All it. All right. The voice, of, the voice of God, I'm not, but I'm the quite the opposite. I'm, I'm like the the sort of the little finicky devil in the like little demon in the corner. Dustin <laughs> Hoffman. <laughs> okay. So before we get to you, Xander, uh, I do want to make a note that, Sam, you did make a valiant effort at trying to get some audio over to us. Yeah, yeah. You found a VHS tape, actually, uh, the day that we were recording. And what exactly was the videotape? It was sort of, a, I think, a moral. It was an attempt to be like a sort of a moral outreach, I guess, to be kind of like uh, watch out for paganism. You know, it could be like getting you. Like it's going to get and you. And when was that recorded? Uh, seemingly... I would say like early '90s by the look of it. Get him back on here, <laughs> Nancy. Get him back on here. Um, I actually I'm found honest. it on YouTube also because I didn't have a VHS player oh. anymore. But I found it on YouTube and was like, "Yes!" But it was uh, a little didn't want to offend anybody. Okay, um, fair. Well, yeah. another time for sure. Yeah. In the meantime, Xander, do you have anything that's not offensive? Uh, <laughs> I think it's very I offensive. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It, it really depends on what you mean by offensive. Uh, okay. I'll set this up. the scene. May shock you. I've been told yeah. that you were in a boy band. Could we, could we is, elaborate on this? That is that is true, <laughs> and all of those negative connotations that are cropping up right now for everybody are also absolutely true. Uh, the spiky hair, the glower, frosted tips, the frosted tips. Yeah. So, uh, what year were we talking here? This is early '90s. So, I early I, '90s. Yes, I, I went to high school in Orlando, Florida, and when you do that, you do two things: you work for Disney, and then you join a boy band. <laughs> so I had to do both. And uh, uh, yeah, this is my junior, senior year of high school that we started uh, touring around there. Uh, we were called Sixth Element because there were six of us. It took all of five minutes to come up with. That's hot. Uh, <laughs> now, when, when we started, we actually played our own instruments, you know, and actually had some sort of musical creative influence what, what, over the process. What instrument did you play? I played guitar. And uh, yeah, we had a full band. As soon as we got signed to a management label, they immediately shifted us to be more like what was already out. So Backstreet Boys and 98 Degrees and Sync and all that stuff. So on went the tight pants, away went the instruments, and uh, we started to adopt that faux R&B sound that you're about to hear and love so much. Oh, boy. <laughs> when you became Sixth Element, was this like because the Fifth Element had just recently come out, too? And it was yes. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. You know, Sixth yeah, Element, baby. Yeah, dude, I don't even think it had come out yet because Fifth no. Element wasn't until, like, what, like, 95, 96? This was, yeah. This no, was, I was going to say it was it, right it, around the same it, time. It may have been right. the exact summer. I wouldn't doubt if we had just seen it. So any, <laughs> any sort of permission you're giving me or sort of creative license okay. for, for the justification of the name, take it away and go with the simplest answer. <laughs> okay. So then simplest answer is 
on the same year a fifth element came out in the late 90s, <laughs> mid to late 90s, mid one, yeah. was Xander Chauncey's six element boy band recorded uh, with, you know, what, like how many other people were there in the group? So six, including me. Oh, wait, here's the best part. We ended up actually getting signed to a pretty good deal in L.A. But and? They, they cut two of us. <laughs> And they kept the name. So we had to reverse justify the name. We're like, oh, so you know, the, the four elements of, of the nature and so the fifth element is the soul and the sixth element is music. Okay. Oh, no. That's right. even it's so much yeah. worse. Right? Yeah. I'm so glad I, I, I uh, delayed. Let's not delay any longer. <laughs> have to hear this. I'm looking in your eyes, you got me hypnotized All I visualize is you and me in paradise Something on your mind, I feel it in the vibe You might try and hide it, but it's easy to recognize The way you're walking, the way you're talking Girl, you're looking fine, and you got a brother stalking Let's not hesitate, it'll be okay Take your time, do it right, break it down for me Heard about my name, and you see my game. I said I wanna play. Do you feel the same? You try and hide the fact that you want me back. But when I look into your eyes, it's like a heart attack. And when you're sleeping, I come creeping. Slip into your dreams and know just what you're thinking. So don't hesitate, we can make it through. Let me take my time, I can break it down with you. I can see it in your eyes, you wanna ah, ah. Girl, I love the way you move it when you ah, ah. Won't you let me be the one to make you scream? Now don't you be shy, cause I'm not the kind who will rush you. Just take your time. And once you realize what I'm feeling inside, wanna hold you and kiss you and make you mine. Would you let me be the one to make you scream? I can see it in your eyes, you wanna ah, uh, ah uh. Girl, I 
I love the way you move it when you ah, ah. Would you let me be the one to make you scream? Tell me if you really wanna ah, ah. I can see it in your eyes, you wanna ah, ah. Girl, I love the way you move it when you ah, ah. Would you let me be the one to make you scream? My career has been downhill since then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, I, yeah. What do you say? Well, Coke, well, wait, yeah, I, I'm going to go clockwise. Well, I was going to say, said it to Nancy. So we've had some good stuff for all through the show before. We get some gems every so often. But, <laughs> yes, we do. Um, that, that, was, uh, that was truly, we struck gold with that one. Yeah. That was, uh, that was pretty magical. Um I'm just so happy. It's hard. To- <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say, was there a music video? Uh, there was. This is so. Oh the, my God. The, I'm not going to mention the company that we got signed to because they're pretty stringent about that. But we got signed to a record label. They immediately took possession of all of our digital recordings, everything in the late '90s, early aughts. That was quite possible. You know, now everything's everywhere, but then it wasn't. So this CD that I just played was an early demo that I held on to and hid. Uh, so. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That's very rebellious of you. Well, you know. It was rebellious. There's no way I'm giving this away. You were the bad, you were the bad I, boy. I was right. I'm the bad yeah. boy. Yeah, I had the facial hair and gauges. So, you know, I was the, <laughs> the hard one. Uh, Nancy Sam. I mean, how, like, I don't even... Uh, you probably just can't think straight because of I can't, how you feel like, after hearing <laughs> You know, the song just wanted to make me scream. Like it was yes. You want to be in the crowd. And I want to be along. the girl in the background just going, ah. <laughs> it made me want to ah. Yeah. I, would say. I, I was a huge, so when I was growing up, I was a huge Aaron Carter fan. And that to me sounded like a lot of Aaron Carter music. Like I would, whenever I would have sleepovers with my best friend, Selena, we would be, uh, she had a huge crush on Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter. And I had a huge crush on Aaron Carter. So I would play Aaron Carter's music all the time while just like pretending he was there. And listening to that, I was like, oh, my God, Aaron's in the room with me. <laughs> it, was, it was funny. Like, I've really, like, heard music from that era since. It's, it's in that weird time zone. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't been long enough that that sound has ever made a comeback. So it's like, vintage. Yeah, it's, it's, it's newly vintage. That, yeah. is, that is Florida pop in, in, uh, okay. in a nutshell. Yeah. Orlando. It, yes. You had heard that song before, Annalisa, you were saying during the song. Well, now that I'm thinking of it, I... I may have just heard so many songs that sound like that that I am thinking that I've heard it before. But I will say that when I was like sixth grade through eighth grade, which would have been like 12 through 13, um, that puts us early 2000s. Essentially, um, there was a place that was kind of like Chuck E. Cheese. And on Friday nights, they had like an older kid night. And it was like a, you know, like a party night. Uh-huh. And they played all sorts of music that was more geared towards like teenagers and stuff. And we would dance. And it was very, it was like basically. It was a prom? It, oh, uh, it was more like no, 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 prepa- it was preparing it was like you for like the dance. club scene. Yeah, a it middle school dance. It was a teenage dance. mating ritual. No. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. But, but like 
School dances were much tamer than this actually was. Oh, boy. This was a bunch of wild children who were just running around in, like, well, a huge building of tubes. That's that true. That then are called to the front <laughs> with it, free pizza and told to dance to, like, this kind of music. It's a Hyped business. Up on Coca-Cola. It was, yeah. It's a business, not the school. You can do whatever you want. Drink as much Coke and have as many fun dips as you want. That was exactly what it was. Wow. Yeah. You dip the sugar in the sugar. Yeah. Yes. We did get a lot of distribution, so there's it was a, a good possibility that you did hear it because our management company were the same crew as Lou Pearlman and Donna Wright and Johnny Wright, all of that, you know, the Lance Britty Spears, etc. Uh, so they had us playing on, on a lot of their avenues already, but I never had to look anyone in the eye when I was listening, <laughs> watching them listen to this, <laughs> you know, so when you're, you know, because we, we played House of Blues and stuff like that, and you, when you're on stage and people are playing along that you're cool, you can kind of believe you are, but <laughs> now when I listen back, I realize just how faking it I was. Was it during the, the time that you were making this music, or was it a certain amount of time after the music was made where you realized that was a weird time? <laughs> Did you have to step out of it to realize just how absurd it was? When we were really in the heat of it in L.A., I was absolutely completely aware of how absurd it was that we were there at all and that really witnessed how manufactured fame can be and how that system works, where they just started systematically telling everybody that we were the next big thing. And then the whole time I'm like, that's not going to work. And then you start to see people catch on and become fans for no reason because they haven't even heard a song yet. They just know that you are something. You are beings in the pop canon. You're a product. You're a product that, that, that they're saying, this is the next tasty thing. The plug and play, man. They look yep. at you and they go, wow, well, I'm trying to make a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this cookie cutter and, uh, well, you look like dough to me. And anything that doesn't fit in that, you know, they see as a risky investment. So they systematically begin to remove any of our creative influence, any of our orig- none of that was our original music, none of our, I, mean, I would say it's not even our voices. It's so produced. It's, it's far out. It's incredible. <laughs> it's beautiful. But to, be a, to be a part of that, yeah, no, that's a, that's one of those, like, you know, little special, like, truly special nuggets that you can bring out, like, at any time someone's like, anything quirky about you? They're like, I like the surf. You're like, whoa. <laughs> and then you laugh nervously and change the subject. Yeah. Like, oh, my dear. Yeah. You know how there are four elements, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sander, thank you so much for that. That was yeah, incredible. Man. Let's move on to Annalisa, who brought in one little clip uh, from your childhood. Is this correct? Yeah. Well, I thought that was the thing we were supposed to do. Find, <laughs> it is. find something from like deep childhood and kind of. The hope is. Anyway, he's 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 a, a junkie for the older the better. Ah, okay. Yes. So this one is old. It's it's like gonna be so flat compared to Xander's, but um. That's okay. No, it's a, it, we, honestly we're we don't need more of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, um, the, the type of content we have varies so wildly. Oh yeah. Okay. Sure, all right. Sure. All right. Um. So. Basically, when I was younger, I loved instruments. I loved to, like, sing in my own foreign language. Just kind of was totally encouraged to do everything that was, like, even a little bit irregular creatively. What was the language you spoke uh, when you were a child? I literally made it up. Made it up. She said her own foreign language. Your own foreign language. Oh, I see. Yes. The Annalisa Um, language. Yeah, and it was not a thing where I would then laugh afterwards. It was very serious. Most of the things that I would do that normally kids giggle after, I was completely stone-faced, like, in it, right? It's not surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway, um, but this is uh, a violin. It's talking about a violin that I made for myself after I asked for one and couldn't get one because I'm sure that my parents just wanted me to learn piano first. Um, But anyway, it's me describing how I built it. Um, My mom and dad came up for a violin, so I decided to make my own. And the book 
This was a video originally, right? Yeah, so this was pulled off of a home video. This is interesting. So you were making, you were crafting even from as young of an age as, uh, how old were you in this exactly? Um, I think I was either six or seven in this. and But yeah, I all, I constantly crafted always. So this, yeah. is, this is really significant because as a sculptor, as a craftsperson, as somebody who is making their art literally, figuratively in large scale, it started with a tiny little violin that you were making at six. Uh, or... I, it didn't really start with that. That was yeah, just I like that one just thing. One yeah, that was just one thing. Yeah, yeah. Mostly there were things that I wanted and whatever. Maybe they were like fantastic things or real things in real life. And I just was like, hmm, I'm going to make it myself. You know, and I, and I really was attracted to things. We were big garage sailors and like just all about sifting through junk always. But I was very aware of what I couldn't have or what was too expensive. But also very pompous in the sense that I thought I could make my own and make it better. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to have the, the most unique version of whatever that was. So yeah. like in, uh, in high school, I had these huge platform sandals, like foam sandals. And every summer I painted a different pair with like what I was into. Like I'm talking like elaborate miniature painting. And then I would wear them every day until they fell off my feet and were completely disgusting. A totally different canvas on the platforms. And I did it probably four years in a row. Wow. It was like my thing. People Um, knew to come to your your peers would come to know and expect what 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 kind of uh, art is going to be yeah, on and, and this I, year? Mm-hmm, this and summer. I made my own clothes a lot of the time, and just wanted to have the only version of whatever it was. Who, I would make it. Who did you see on television, or uh, did you see out in the world that inspired you to uh, keep with that project of creating and making your own mm-hmm. clothes? You know. Um, it couldn't. It doesn't have to be somebody in the. In, yeah, in, in, in I, th- I think I think be. what happened is I had a lot of people kind of give me this like one-off response to being a kid that liked to make things and was like a little artist or whatever, and a lot of the artists that they would say like, uh, you know, like, oh, do you like this, you know, Picasso or like Leonardo da Vinci, like the automatic ones that everybody knows. Um, the next thing that they told me was always this general like they did a different thing. You know, like the they're like they didn't do what everyone else was doing. Like so, it was like you're you're a kid artist. Okay, do you know Leonardo da Vinci? Okay, he did things differently. Like just like, that was you five year old. Like, well, no, no, but that was why that was what they would say. It was like something weird, and they would be like, "This is good." They would encourage the thing that was the piling of tape and rubber bands because that's an interesting way to get to a violin or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so I think that th- like that was actually the thing that influenced me the most more than like a singular person. It was that people pounded this idea into my head that if you were going to be a good artist, you had not learn how to be a, like a, a right artist. I, 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 I imagine you probably slayed the science fair every single year. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it was like horribly bad at math and just like completely discarded anything that required math. So I just sort of turned my nose up to science in general but i was very interested in reading about science and reading about math but not actually interesting (laughs) 
That, that's really, really poignant. I'm really glad that you shared that clip. We have time for one more clip, actually, from our returning guest, Miss Nancy Pop. And you brought a cl- another clip of your sister because we cannot get enough of... Uh, of uh, Amalia. Amalia, right. I was about to say Amalia. We have another clip from Amalia. The BB Stealer. The BB Stealer. So for those who didn't get a chance to listen to uh, your episode with us, uh, which is a f- episode 101, you could s- hear it on Podomatic. The episode title is uh, Breakthrough or Breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite titles. You can uh, just never tell. No. It gives people some insight as to what people uh, may not have heard from that episode for context. Um, so when I was in high school, I used to throw a lot of big house parties, but they were never like, oh, let's go to Nancy's house and get you know messed up. Let's drink or smoke or whatever. It was just... Literally, let's go to Nancy's house and eat fondue. And 50 people would show up. And I never made the fondue properly. Like, the food was terrible. I never provided drinks for anyone. We just sat there and pretended to eat fondue. And so I'd have all these people come over, and Amalia would be there. And, you know, she was really little. She was like seven or eight in this clip that you're about to play. But she would just hang around the parties and talk to everyone as though she's a 16-year-old girl and, like, flirt with my guy friends. And, like, it was just weird. Like, she's just a little weirdo, you know. Mm -hmm. But this video you're about to play is her leaving a voicemail to one of my friends who didn't show up to the party that day. And she's just basically telling him how she's upset with him for not being there and how all these high school people are crazy. I need you to be here from for this party. There are teenagers going crazy. I cannot handle it. Everybody likes Piggle. I cannot believe it. Oh, my friend Nadia wants to meet you. Yeah, okay, please. Do not fail on me again. Even though you've never failed on me, do not fail on me again. Do, do not fail on me again. This is the way in which she's doing this. You, like she's saying this as if like it's a distress call, it's like a Blair Witch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's a life or death situation, and you're like this don't is some... fail on me again. <laughs> we only have so much time left. This is really integral to our survival. Do not fail on me again. Who is she warning to not fail? My friend Jack. She's she's just like leaving him this voice message. I don't know if you can tell from watching the video. She's walking around in about a one foot circle in a hallway, just leaving <laughs> this message like she's being held for ransom. Like. Do not leave me again. Where's all she's doing is pitting. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that like what you described that party is like teenagers pretending to eat fondue and she's like, they're going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that that is wonderful. And I will admit that I never had that young of a sister. Or uh, my sister was was younger and cooler than I. So if anything, I was the older brother who was crashing her parties, if not the other way around. I was that little sister. I was exactly like that. I would hang out with my sister's friends. You're the and, Amalia. And she was mortified for years. Just hated it. Oh, I loved it. I I used her as like a party object. I'm like, this is my sister. Talk to her. I don't want to talk to you guys. I'm gonna go in the other room now. <laughs> yeah, we used to. Um, I didn't have any siblings, but my best friend, who was a guest on our show, Zach Poots, his older brother was six years older than us, and we used to mess with him all the time. And he would have like his girlfriend over, and we would like bust in the room and like do truffle shuffle. You know, yeah. <laughs> like and you you almost got your your head hit in the head with a power ranger. Yeah, he threw a power ranger doll at us, and it, and it went into the door. It busted into the door, and we it came out afterwards, and the. the the toy was like just the toy, like with the body sticking out of the door. <laughs> yeah. Well, he caused a lot of violence to us after that. You know, it was it was a tete a tete. I don't know yeah. if you guys had yeah, one yeah. of those childhoods. <laughs> oh my God, my God, guys, this episode has been in 
it was just an, uh, an, an unbelievable experience um, learning about the Moloch and just how much uh, significance it has for everybody in 2018. I, I, I mean, you guys contributed clips. You played with us and gave us clips that, so for us to laugh at. And, and hopefully everybody who's listening now uh, will be inspired to find their own audio and even more so inspired to either give or learn more about the Moloch. Is there any other uh, plugs or shouts that uh, I, I have not been able to elaborate on that you guys have? Go. Go to themoloch.com. Yeah, go to themoloch.com. We have a couple of really great announcements coming up. We're not going to announce them here because we'll do it officially, but uh, some some casting announcements, some further developments with the creative team. So uh, the project's really rolling along. We could definitely use your support. Or if you're just interested, go check it out and keep up with us. We do have a lot of really, really great content up on our Instagram. We have interviews with Annalisa, um, some video clips of Harold, our sound designer, that are coming up soon. There's also a test theme song that's up right now that I think people will find pretty enticing. Um, so, yeah, the Instagram account is at the Moloch, M-O-L-O-K. You can check it out on themoloch.com, and you can also go to the Indiegogo. Nancy Pop, Sam Wilson, Annalisa Barron, and Xander Chauncey, a.k.a. the bad boy of the Six Element. <laughs> electron <laughs> and anyone that knows me knows how absolutely ridiculous that is <laughs> um thank you all thank you all truly for the b- bottom of our hearts uh, this was really uh, a fantastic week for pleasure. Uh, absolute pleasure this has been episode 120 and if you want to come back next week we would love for you to hear us 3 to 4 p.m every thursday lost and rewound radio free brooklyn Brillig and the slithy toves to gyre and gimble in the wave. All Mimsy were the boar groves and the momraths outgrave. Is that from the movie? It's, yeah, it's the Jabberwocky. Oh! Beware the Jabberwocky. That is good. I'm so behind on everything in my life. Because uh, <laughs> I've read it, but it's been like since high school. So I mean, like, just. Well, there was a time in my life when I had it on my wall for about a year to make sure that I. Mm. Because I thought it was like a tool I needed to have in my toolbox for my life. It is. Yeah. Shush. Goodbye.